Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Ken Hellenius, recording from a beautiful hotel room in Baltimore, Maryland, where I'm attending the Catholic Media Conference. And sitting across from me is my beloved friend, the man who's the new spokesperson who's replacing Chester Cheeto as the spokesperson for Cheetos. It's my (laughs) friend and the greatest deacon of all, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. Hello, Ken. How are you? I am well. <laughs> I, I didn't want to wear that lion costume, though, the, the tiger costume. <laughs> I said, I'll do it if I don't have to wear that. <laughs> There's something about Cheetos, right? You get, it's one of the few foods that when you're done, you can tell that you've been eating because uh, all the Cheeto dust is all over your fingers. That's right. That's right. It's like kind of like a Doritos, you know, but That's I like right. those flaming hot Cheetos. Those are really good. Those crunchy flaming hot ones. Way too warm for Uncle Ken. That's for darn yeah. sure. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a bit of a Nancy boy when it comes to spicy things. Oh, so. <laughs> uh, I see. <laughs> well, hey, uh, you know, this is the first chance we've had to chat since you returned from your big pilgrimage. Uh, I know we talked about, uh, you know, due to the magic of radio, we were recording shows that uh, aired while you were on pilgrimage. But now you're back from your big trip to uh, all sorts of interesting places. And before we started recording, you mentioned uh, some of the places you went. Tell us a little bit about your pilgrimage. Yeah, so we went to uh, what with Father Leo Padalinghong who uh, you know, is a, a professional chef, but also a priest. And uh, we went to Croatia, we brought a group of people, about 30 people to Croatia and uh, Montenegro and Bosnia, uh, Herzegovina and through Slovenia and then to Northern Italy, to Padua and to Venice. And it was a beautiful trip. You know, Croatia has a wonderful Catholic heritage that I just really wasn't aware of. Until yeah. going there, like the, the heavy Roman influence on the place, and then the tomb of Saint Anastasia, you know, from the Roman canon, Lucy Perpetua, Lucy Agnes Cecilia, Anastasia, Anastasia and all know, the saints, there. Yeah. <laughs> and all the saints, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, to, to see her tomb out was just uh, it was awesome. And then Abaza Herzegovina was great, you know. Then there's of course Medjugorje there, which is not an approved apparition site, but um, and I I went with an open mind, you know. There's a lot of people that I respect and, and admire who think that something's going on there, and there's also people I respect and admire who don't think anything's going on there. So, sure. but I went with an open mind and open heart, and um, you know, whether Mary's appearing there, I leave that up to the judgment of the church. Um, but for me, I did have an overwhelming sense of peace. When I was there, for sure, even more so than at um, Lourdes or Fatima or, you know, um, uh, I've been to a, a number of other Marian apparition sites, uh, Notre Dame du Laos in France, also been to uh, several others and an overwhelming sense of peace and people really striving to seek Jesus deeply, yeah. you know, through the heart of the Blessed Mother, through confessions and adoration and mass, which were which were all packed, you know, a really strong sense of the faith there. Then we went to uh, through Slovenia and then into northern Italy, Padua. So St. Anthony of Padua, you know, they have his jawbone, you know, on display uh, and also his tongue, you know, oh, wow. is on display there as well. <laughs> I'm like, wow. You know, and uh, 
and then to Venice, you know, which is beautiful, the Church of St. Mark, the Basilica of St. Mark, which was absolutely spectacular. Sure. You know, Mark, one of the four evangelists, writers of the gospel. It was, uh, it, overall, it was just an, an outstanding, very prayerful, uh, very uh, meaningful trip. Wow. You know, the story of St. Mark and his relics being in Venice is actually a pretty fascinating one as well, because if I remember right, he, he of course, was Bishop of Alexandria. He was the second Bishop of Alexandria, a see that was uh, first established by St. Peter uh, himself, and Mark was, uh, was his successor. And uh, so Alexandria is in Egypt, and uh, when that uh, part of the world got overrun by uh, the Muslims, um, the bones and relics of St. Mark were, were basically under hostage. You know, they were kept hostage. And uh, some traders uh, from Venice actually packed his body in crates full of pork in order to smuggle him out. And because, of course, pork is, is uh, verboten to uh, Muslim kind of dietary laws, the uh, Muslim people checking the, the shipments going out were having nothing to do with the case. And so that's how they smuggled uh, the bones of St. St. Mark out uh, and uh, then brought him to Venice. Of course, uh, we think of Venice, the Basilica of St. Mark and San Marco is one of the most famous, beautiful, absolutely beautiful churches in the world is kind of with that Byzantine influence with the the domes. Uh, I've never been to Venice, but uh, that's a place that's absolutely on my bucket list. So I'm pretty envious of you, friend. Well, like I said, you know, we, we have to get that the Living Stones pilgrimage together, man. I, I'm sure I, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that a lot of our listeners would love to accompany us. You know, we've been, you know, over the years we've been doing the show, we've been talking about a lot of spiritual things to share those reflections and to be at some of the sites that we've talked about over the years uh, and be on pilgrimage to have a deeply spiritual experience with many of our listeners would be fantastic. I would absolutely love that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we if we can get uh, our artists that uh, enthused enough to want to go on pilgrimage, we'd love to make it happen. That would be awesome. I'd love it. Well, Deacon, we have... So what are you doing in Baltimore? Oh, yeah, what am I doing in Baltimore? So uh, I mentioned I'm at the Catholic Media Conference. So every year, the uh, Catholic Media Association, which used to be the Catholic Press Association, gathers for an annual a meetup of uh, editors, reporters, uh, freelancers, and now, of course, they've expanded it to communications professionals. So I am a communications director at uh, at the University of Notre Dame, or a communications specialist, and as well as, obviously, I'm involved here in uh, Catholic media, Catholic radio. So we gather together, and uh, it's an opportunity to uh, have some professional development. So there are sessions on uh, kind of emerging technology, you know, how to do video editing for reporters, as well as uh, strategic planning for communications uh, directors and, you know, people who are like in my professional job. Plus, then we do some awards ceremonies and things like that. So the annual Catholic Book Awards come out uh, at this event, as well as, you know, awards for the best writing of the year for journalists and things like that. So it's a it's a fantastic week. Uh, we pray together. We actually have uh, at least... Uh, 
two masses that take place during the three-day conference, you know, so we'll have uh, Archbishop or Cardinal Archbishop Wilton Gregory will celebrate mass with us uh, as our, at our annual memorial mass for uh, journalists and members of the association who've passed, uh, as well as we have confessions, we have a prayer room. So it's both an opportunity to recharge as well as to grow and to experience kind of some fellowship and networking. So I've been to these conferences in Quebec City and in Green Bay and in Portland. Last summer it was in Portland, Oregon, and this year it's in Baltimore. So it's been really a, an opportunity also to see and experience uh, the church in various locations and to pray with the uh, local Catholics where we are uh, meeting. So yeah, it's a it's a fun opportunity to to see my friends each year too. So it's a good time. All right, and to get some of that famous Baltimore seafood. That's correct. I'm well. uh, planning on doing that, uh, getting some uh, some blue crabs, uh, as well as uh, um, there's a cookie that's from this town called a burger cookie that apparently is like the signature cookie of the uh, town. And so you can bet uh, darn sure that I'm going to be seeking that out while I'm here. So, yeah, all sorts of uh, uh, neat opportunities to to explore uh, and experience uh, what you know what this great country and what all of North America has to offer. As, as a matter of fact, as I mentioned, you know we've met in Canada as well because the uh, Catholic Media Association covers the U.S. and Canada. So it's kind of a neat opportunity to to experience the church. That's awesome. Yeah. So Deacon, for the last few weeks, we have been chatting about the fathers and doctors of the church, and we've met some just absolutely fantastic teachers and bishops and preachers and writers. And uh, the parade continues today, because now we're going to uh, discuss a very famous doctor of the church, who is uh, an absolute favorite, uh, even though he's probably one of the most ascetical uh, of the uh, doctors, because he spent time as a hermit, and his name is uh, St. John Chrysostom. And so um, I'm going to talk a little bit about John Chrysostom, and we're going to have this fantastic chance to meet the golden-mouthed doctor. So Chrysostom, uh, John was born in uh, Antioch, in 347 uh, and he was raised as a christian but he was not baptized until he was 19 years old uh, but then he pursued an education in rhetoric and he became a lawyer but uh, not long after in his uh, late 20s he uh, experienced a conversion and he became more deeply committed to his christian faith and that's when he left his uh, secular profession and he went off to the mountains and became a hermit and his time as a hermit was supremely fruitful for his spiritual life. He spent the time really in deep meditation on the word of God. And after a number of years, uh, he, he grew ill. And so he left his hermitage and he returned to his hometown of Antioch. And that's where he was ordained a priest in 386. And uh, he then became known very well as a superb preacher. Uh, Pope Benedict mentioned of uh, Chrysostom, he said that intimacy with the word of God, which was cultivated in his years at the Hermitage, had developed in him an irresistible urge to preach the gospel, to give to others what he himself had received in his years of meditation. The missionary ideal thus launched him into pastoral care with his heart on fire. That's what Pope Benedict had to say about his time spent in deep prayer, then impelled him outward. And it impelled him outward in 
direct pastoral ministry to the people of God. So he spent about the next 10 years, 11 years in Antioch as a priest, preaching and uh, writing homilies, writing letters, and again, sharing the fruits of his meditation and his contemplation as a hermit. Uh, That's why often when he's portrayed in iconography, he's very um, thin and uh, some would even say emaciated. Uh, The image of of Chrysostom is of a a balding man with a tiny little topknot of hair and and a very thin beard and a very thin face and neck. However, he's also holding the word of God, and he often there's near him some bees because they spoke of the sweetness of his preaching. Uh, another, you know, of course, we, we think of when we think of bees and, and preachers, we think of, of Ambrose because Ambrose was often depicted as uh, his preaching was so sweet. It was sweet as honey. So the bees would, would hang out. This is also an image of, of St. John Chrysostom as well. So in 397, John was appointed the Archbishop of Constantinople. Now, Constantinople, of course, was New Rome, as it was called. You know, it was the capital of the Eastern Empire. But his time as the Bishop of Constantinople was not without controversy as well. Uh, He ends up banished from the city in 403 by the imperial authorities based on false charges. And so because the charges were clearly false, he was soon brought back uh, after the faithful clamored for the return of their very popular bishop and shepherd. You know, he was a pastor and a bishop, but because he was there in Constantinople, which was the imperial capital, he couldn't help but be embroiled in kind of political controversy. And so even if he was preaching about something supremely spiritual, you know, if the emperor or the empress was involved in, you know, various types of sin that they felt he was attacking them, then they would, you know, accuse him of being overly political when he was really trying to preach the truth, trying to preach the gospel and invite people back into uh, the life of Christ and into the life of grace. And so, um, John Chrysostom, again, exiled in 403, and then in 407, he was exiled a second time, again, under false charges. And in this case, the emperor sent him to the furthest reaches of the empire, and he died at the edge of the empire before he could clear his name. And it was about, uh, after his death in 407, it was about 30 years before he was fully rehabilitated by a later emperor. But the church recognized his holiness right away because the faithful knew that this was a man, uh, a bishop who loved them and who wanted them to uh, be in the life of Christ. So that's a little bit kind yeah. of an overview of his biography just in general. He's well known as a preacher. Uh, his homilies were very practical. They were often focused on the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. He, because of the time, again, this is late 300s, early 400s, he often was still preaching homilies against the Arians. You know, the Arians are a group that we've talked about pretty much every week. Every time we've talked about the doctors of the church, we've had to discuss the Arians. This was, we need to impress upon everyone, this was an incredibly pervasive heresy. And it's a heresy that in some ways we continue to experience today. The idea that Christ was a good man, a really great man, but he was not equal to God. 
This is something that we could even hear in our contemporary discussion and debate, right? That Christ, oh, was only concerned about, you know, people being good. He he wasn't divine himself. Christ, Christ never asked people to worship him. All of these things are false, friends. Christ is God. And Christ, we even, you read the Gospels and you see that people worshiped Christ. And in some cases, he did, he accepted it right i mean like as the as his feet were being washed that's an act of worship that's an act of love that is done and he praised you know the woman who washed his feet with her hair christ was god and this is something that needs to be constantly preached from the the pulpit and in everything that we do right so Chrysostom spent a lot of time preaching against the Arians. He preached homilies commemorating the martyrs uh, and the other important liturgical feasts. He taught faith in Christ and he taught the glory of the saints, the witness of the saints to the glory of Christ. This was kind of his major legacy. Among his recorded works, we have 67 homilies on the book of Genesis. We have 59 on the book of Psalms, 90 on the Gospel of Matthew, 88 on the Gospel of John, and 55 on the Acts of the Apostles. We have 700 of his homilies, more than 700 of his homilies still extant. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, that's that's every homily every day for more than two years, you know, for two years, basically, except these were spread throughout his years as uh, as bishop and as as a priest in Antioch. So in one of his most famous homilies from the Gospel of Matthew, there's this passage. Do you wish to honor the body of Christ? Do not ignore him when he's naked. Do not pay him homage in the temple clad in silk only then to neglect him outside, where he is cold and ill-clad. He who said, This is my body, is the same who said, You saw me hungry, and you gave me no food. And whatever you did to the least of my brothers, you did also to me. What good is it if the Eucharistic table is overloaded with golden chalices when your brother is dying of hunger? Start by satisfying his hunger. And then with what is left, you may adorn the altar as well. But if you listen to that, he's not saying don't honor the Lord in the Eucharist. He's saying just make sure that you're also honoring your brothers and sisters who are hungry and starving and those who are naked. Again, do the corporal works of mercy. Do the works of mercy that actually honor the temple that is in front of you, right? We, I mean, Paul tells us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Each of us is, is an image, is created in the image and likeness of God. And so it is vitally important indeed that we honor our brothers and sisters by giving them what they need to have dignity as well, to show forth the dignity that they already have as people created in the image and likeness of God. But the Eucharist is also important. The Eucharist is what binds us together. And so John Chrysostom was not a either or, he was a both and, much as we always say about, about the Catholic faith, right? We are both and, both lovers of the Eucharist and those who practice the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. So this is perhaps the most important legacy of of St. John Chrysostom, is this urging to live the gospel in our lives. Yeah, you know, and a couple um, things come to mind in reflection on his life. First of all, he spent, uh, again, a number of years as a hermit, 
um, living an ascetical life, but then the Lord called him to leave that life and to share his witness to the world. And it's just like for us at Mass, we receive Christ and word and sacrament, and then we're impelled to go forward to be Eucharist to the world, to share that experience of Christ with others. You know, so he was not allowed to keep all of that rich knowledge to himself, mm -hmm. uh, swimming around in his own head. God called him to share that with others. And we're, we're called to do the same thing. Obviously not to the level of St. John Chrysostom, but each in our own way, living out and reflecting those gospel values in our lives that has been nurtured and strengthened by the Eucharist. So the Eucharist impels us to go forward and, and to share and witness the power of Christ's love to others. The other thing I noticed was during the retreat kind of atmosphere. So we pull away just like Jesus went away by himself for a while. You know, um, he spent this time as a hermit. And sometimes we're called to just peel back from the world, to just find time for retreat, find time for silence, to recharge, to reflect, to kind of just ask, okay, where am, where am I in my relationship with God right now? You know, how am I living out my vocation? to witness and, and to honor God in the way that he's called me to do that. You know, just how important it is to just take time away, but then to go back out into the world, to not be afraid of the world. You know, uh, we are in the world, but not of the world. Right? Mm -hmm. So so we can't run away from the things that, that frighten us. I mean, it's like uh, our life is uh, like a ship and the ship is being pelted by the storms and, and the waves of the culture, but it's Christ is the anchor. Uh, that keeps us rooted and, and grounded. And that's something that the St. John Chrysostom definitely remembered. Also persecution. You know, when you speak the truth and love, you're going to be persecuted. Mm -hmm. You know, we're persecuted as Catholics because of our stance on pro-life, because of our stance on marriage and gender, um, because of uh, the stance that we take on a number of different things, we're going to be persecuted. And uh, sadly, there are some who, are so concerned about uh, their reputation or concerned about what others think about them that they often don't stand up to the uh, to the faith in the face of persecution. St. John Chrysostom understand that. Like you said, he was exiled several times yep. um, because he stood firm in the faith. And we have to do the same thing. You know, um, again, we're not trying to deliberately upset people. You know, uh, but we have to speak, as St. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, the truth in love. And even when we do that, when we lovingly approach faith in Christ, um, it, it's going to cause issues for people who are not living um, or, or thinking or acting in that way. So we, we have to continually be witnesses of Christ's love, even, even when it's difficult. Yes. And then finally, the corporal works of mercy. You know, you have to put flesh on the bone. It's not enough to be an ivory tower. And think about all these intellectual things about the faith. We have to, the rubber has to meet the road. The faith has to meet real life, you know. And and it's beautiful to hear Saint John Chrysostom talk about practical ways for living out the faith. Again, the, the corporal works of mercy, uh, feeding the hungry, give drink the thirsty, clothing the naked, all the things that Christ asked us to do. Uh, Saint John Chrysostom, even though he was uh, very uh, smart, uh, intellectual, did not um, negate or neglect uh, the people who are, who are under his care. So I think that's, that's uh, all very, very important in understanding why he is important in the life of the church. Yes. Yeah. He's a, he's incredible as a preacher. And also again, 
you know, we, we talk about how he was both encouraging the works of mercy, but also worship. I mean, his other legacy is important in the liturgical life of the church. One of the two main Eucharistic rites of worship in the uh, Orthodox and Eastern Catholic churches is called the Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, because uh, the main Eucharistic prayer, called the Anaphora, uh, is attributed to St. John himself. And so this is the um, uh, worship, you know, the divine liturgy that is used by our Byzantine and and uh, Ukrainian Greek Catholic and Greek Catholics, as well as Orthodox uh, brothers and sisters, is directly from the hand of St. John Chrysostom. So it's not to, enough to say, oh, he was only encouraging the works of mercy. He also was uh, all about true and honest and beautiful worship of the Lord in the temple as well. Um, you know, Pope Benedict spoke about St. John's idea also of the spiritual life as navigating various seas in an immense ocean. He talked about kind of three seas. The Sea of Childhood is the first, where it is precisely at this early age that inclinations to vice or virtue are manifest. And he counseled that from the tenderest age, arm your children with spiritual weapons and teach them to make the sign of the cross on the forehead with their hand. And then the second is following childhood is the sea of adolescence where violent winds blow for concupiscence grows within us. You know, I think uh, many of us, anybody who's been a teenage boy knows, you know, teenagers are, are entirely driven by their desires, by their physical desires uh, in many ways. And they, they seek to, you know, to gratify those. And this is uh, something where uh, prayer and frequent confession and also and guidance of, of you know, um, loving, true, uh, you know, like loving examples of couples, of married couples can really provide a, a tremendous difference because the third C is uh, that of navigation is, as he said, youth is succeeded by the age of the mature person who assumes family commitments. This is the time to seek a wife. Then, when the first child is born, he is, quote, like a bridge. The three become one flesh because the child joins the two parts, and the three constitute a family, a church in miniature. So St. John was concerned with being a true pastor of souls. He was a pastor of families, and he nurtured the domestic church. And as, Saint Pen as Pope Benedict said, Chrysostom was not a speculative theologian, but he was a pastoral theologian, one who was practical. So St. John Chrysostom is such a fantastic doctor of the church. We celebrate his feast day in the Roman Catholic Church on the 13th of September, you know, just before the feast of the triumph of the Holy Cross. And so this is such a fantastic uh, father and doctor and one that we are proud to uh, to call upon in our prayer. And uh, yeah, that's that's our the doctor that we get to meet this week. So and Deacon, as we've reached the end of our time together, we have to wrap up and we have to encourage our listeners connect with us on Facebook at Living Stones Media. You can also download previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. Uh, and until we gather next week, Deacon, might we have a blessing. May Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. 
For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.